Ekal Duka, thank you so much for being on the Factory Founder podcast series. Thank you very much for having me. So you're at a dinner party and you're asked to introduce Zindi. How do you introduce it in a line? Zindi is a professional network for data scientists. So you are at said dinner party. Zindi is embodied in human form and attending said dinner party. What should we expect? So the Zindi at the dinner party would be curious, but not obtrusive. They would be eager to learn and friendly. They would be easy to get to know. And they would be empathetic as well. Would they be someone you'd want to write into one of your novels? <laughs> Possibly. But since you touched on that, I think a good novel also would have a character who is the opposite of Zindi. I think that brings the necessary tension. Maybe. Now we've made anyone listening who didn't know you were a novelist interested in the fact that you are, and we'll link some of the, some of your writing in the show notes. <laughs> because we have to dive into the business now. Cool. So how big is the market Zindi's playing for right now? Well, we've all read press articles that talk about how the demand for data scientists outstrips the supply, and it will do so for the foreseeable future. I think that's driven by the fact that increasingly data science isn't a monolithic endeavor, but it's rather a skill set that enhances the skills and productivities of so many people and practitioners working in various fields. So you could work as a teacher, you could work in a law firm, and there will be some aspect of data science that makes your work better and gives you insight into what you're doing. So I think that the, that broad appeal for data scientists is driving the demand. And um, the recent figure I read was that the demand for data science around the world is growing in the region of 30% annually. And so what do you make of how you've seen data science as a field and maybe being a data scientist as a vocation, how are you seeing that being defined? And is it important that we all sort of understand it the same way, call it the same thing? It would help. But unfortunately, like most things, depending on who you ask, you'll get uh, a very, probably quite a different response to what a data scientist is. It's also not helped by the hype that attends the name or the label data scientist. And I like to go back to the original meaning of the words. So when you talk about a scientist, you think about somebody who thinks deeply, who reflects on the problem at hand, someone who explores, someone who charts new paths. Unfortunately, I think that data science to some extent has been a victim of its own hype and its own success in the sense that it's possible to write a predictive learning algorithm, machine learning algorithm. You can write it in three lines of code and not really understand what, what you're doing. Unfortunately, too many so-called data scientists subscribe to that and simply pull down packages off the shelf without really having a deep appreciation of the underlying maths and stats that help them to know when their model breaks down, when it is most useful, how far it can be trusted. But then having said that, there's also an argument, an increasing argument that says, well, you don't need to know, right? And it's important to remember that data science is in a state of infancy, even though the principles of the underlying mathematics were 
laid down probably hundreds of years ago. It's still a relatively new field. So I think that as the industry matures, we'll probably get to a point where, and I think we're seeing it now already with no-code solutions, where your data science application is sort of like a microwave, right? So you don't need to know how it works to make a good meal. I think we'll get there, but I think for now it, it helps to understand the limitations and know what's happening under the hood so you can make sound recommendations to your clients or your stakeholders. Based on what you just shared, it sounds like data science has an almost default kinship with software and all things digital. Is that fair to say? Or is there a version of data science that falls outside the realm of software and software development and or code? I think that some of the principles of software development certainly apply to data science, and I'm not a software developer, so please, so I'll ask the software developers listening to this to forgive me, but from little I know about software development, an important aspect of software development is to have very good annotation so that someone who comes after you can follow the breadcrumbs that you've laid out. I think in data science, that's two broad areas simply speaking. So you may use data science for in inference. So you only want to use it to gain some insight into a problem. So if you are, for example, a logistics company, you want to be able to predict, for example, traffic on your routes. So once you get that insight, so you're good to go. Increasingly, there's also another part of data science that says, well, that's not enough. We want to embed that model and those insights into a production system. That's a whole new field and a different field uh, completely that comes with its own nuances, its own challenges. And that's where the integration or the close collaboration with software development tends to come in. What's the importance of having a platform or creating one, building one as you are, for this very specific space? So Zindi has strong roots on the African continent. Today, we are present, so we have representation or users in more than 100 countries around the world, but 65% of the vast majority are from the African continent. And this is where we started, and that's really why we started. My co-founders and myself were struck by the observation that many companies in Africa who were looking for data science skills their default stance was to look outside the, the continent. We felt that was wrong. We felt it was unnecessary. And in digging deeper, we realized that there wasn't really a platform or a place where African data scientists could showcase their skills. So that was really the motivation that led us to start Zindi. It's a place for data scientists, specifically African data scientists, but by no means limited to African data scientists can learn, they can collaborate, they can improve their skills, they can find work. So that was why we started and we think it's so important. So it wasn't just an altruistic thing that you know we want Africans to be at the table. It's particularly important in the data science field. We've all read about instances of where data science gets it wrong because of a lack of inclusivity. So it's really important that um, all nationalities and all regions of the world really have a, a say in shaping and using this new and very powerful technology.
So who do you think of as your primary customer in, in that context? You can't think of Zindi as a marketplace. On one side, you have data scientists. On the other side, you have organizations. So let me talk about the data scientists first. I think a good analogy is Zindi is almost like a marathon. So you can think of the London Marathon. You can think of the comrades. You have thousands of people who enter, who will train and try to get better so they can compete on the day. The vast majority of them, by definition, will not win. But they don't do it to win. They do it to push themselves, to improve their personal records. They do it for the satisfaction of being able to say, I've done something. That's what we found is the appeal of Zindi for data scientists. So Zindi crowdsources solutions for organizations. So when an organization has a problem, we work with them to reduce it to a machine learning statement, post it on the platform, and invite the Zindi community to compete to solve it for a price. Most people, by definition, will not win. But in doing that, you improve your skills, you build your portfolio, and you're able to place a stronger foot forward into the world of work. So that's the Zindi proposition for data scientists. For organizations, um, as I touched on, the proposition is to be able to get solutions to pressing problems in a relatively short time. Because the crowdsourcing and the competition format lends itself to relatively quick results. We also help organizations find the data science talents that they need. And I think that that was a logical offshoot from the competition business that now you have a solution where you may actually want somebody to work with you on a more extended basis. So we help to match organizations to the community. Where do data scientists come from? So as I mentioned, they come from more than 100 countries around the world. And if you think of the Zindi data scientists in a pyramid, we have a very broad base. So we have a lot of people who are just starting out and we work to encourage them, nurture them and help them to build their skills in a structured manner. And also right at the top, we do have people who are very good. On the organization side, since we have our roots in Africa, we've, we've worked a lot with organizations that have an interest or a presence on the African continent. It's interesting that we do a lot of work with big tech, so the likes of Microsoft, for example, who don't necessarily come to us to solve a problem for Microsoft, but they're very interested and, and attracted to this community of African data science talent that Zindi has been able to aggregate. We also do a lot of work with startups on the African continent and also with AI meetup groups around the African continent. And we do work with African corporates as well. Do you have any favorite uh, anecdotes around customer success on both sides of this marketplace? So one of my favorite data scientists is the Nigerian called Maria. She got into data science because she was curious. So just talking to you now, I can see a picture of Miriam with her two children, it's a boy and a girl, she wears a hijab. So she's somebody who conventionally should not be doing data science if you believe in the patriarchal African societies, right? But she was so infused, so eager, so willing to learn that she pushed herself and when she found Zindi, she's been 
really happy with the opportunities and the learning opportunities that she finds in Zindi. And I mentioned Marian because what we take to heart and what we try very hard to do is to break down the stereotype that says that tech and data science are not for women, certainly not for mothers, which is completely wrong, right? And we really want to see more, more Mariams um, joining the Zindi community. On the customer side, one success, if you want to call it that, is um, we did some work to predict the air quality in Uganda. And that work was successful and was picked up by Google, who put, I believe, three million US dollars behind it to roll it out across the African continent. You know, so that was quite nice. So you refer to the corporate clients that you do this work for as customers in your business. And what do you refer to the data scientists as? Your community? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about both. How do you acquire Let's start with customers because they're, they're basically the money audience, right? How do you acquire your money audience for your business currently? Yes, yeah, so, so far we've spent very little on marketing. I think our marketing budget to date has been probably less than 100 US dollars a month. So I think our marketing budget to date has been probably less than 100 US dollars a month. So it's on sales and we have a small sales team to proactively bring our story or tell our story to the corporate world. How do you grow your community? That's an interesting question, and it's something we are very actively engaged in, growing the Zindi community. So we started Zindi as a competition platform. At that point in time, we were only interested in posting competitions and see who comes first, second, or third. But quite quickly, we realized that the data scientists are much more rounded than that. They don't only come to compete, they come to learn, they come to discuss. They come to test hypotheses. They come to form groups. They come to find work. So increasingly, we are introducing those features onto the platform to give the data scientists a much more rounded experience. So that's what we're working towards. So just to refer back to the pyramid I spoke about where we have a very broad base. So once a year, we run what I think is the largest Pan-African University hackathon. This was the third year we're doing it. I think we had about more than 300 African universities, more than 2,000 participants competing on the day hacking to solve problems. We bring data scientists together with the corporate sponsors you know, to run a really uh, successful and marvelous event. That was really cool. So it sounds like it's costing you nothing to get <laughs> corporates interested in partnering. But what are you spending to acquire customers? What are you spending to grow the community? And how do you expect that to, to change now that you're in the VC space? So I think like most startups run a platform, we started off by doing a lot of things that didn't scale. Right? Uh, I think that's normal. We're increasingly moving to the space where it's less manual and more systematic. So that's why we're spending so much time building the features on the platform to give both users and clients uh, a seamless and easy experience that delivers value to them. So that's what we're really working on now. Okay, so not a clean number for acquisition then. That doesn't account for the fact that you're still building things out or do you have it to a figure or is that not something you track yet? 
our primary cost at the moment is would be really human cost. So the cost really comes down to the time that people spend in reaching out to the markets and building you know, the platform. Do you envisage this turning into a, an army of people, like reaching out on a regular basis or spending significant amounts online to market to these corporates? Or is the growth in its current form sufficient to support your aspirations for now? No, we want to grow much, much more quickly. So we have made a decision and we started to do that, to spend a bit more on outbound marketing so that we proactively tell our story so that people will know that there's something called Zindi and that this thing called Zindi can actually help them. So we're spending more money and more effort and more planning on outbound marketing. So that's one thing which has changed since we got some VC funding. Right. And is there a correlation between how big your community is and your commercial prospects? Or is this a question of just finessing the proposition? Is there pressure to grow this community steadily over time or significantly even over time? Yeah, there's both pressure and there's a, there's a strong desire and a strong intent you know, to grow the size of the community, but not just the size of the community, not just the top line number, but also the level of engagement. Um, I think we all understand that it's one thing to have a million people on the platform, but how many of them actually do something and spend meaningful time on the platform. So that's why we are spending so much time and effort to really build out and refine the features on the platform to deliver that value to the users. I think there's a strong correlation between the size and the viability of the platform and the commercial prospects. Because the more people we have on the platform, I think that translates into it being a more attractive destination for corporates. The more corporates who come onto the platform, the more varied the challenges that we can place and the more job opportunities we can help our people find. So I think the two are very closely linked. You know, So one doesn't happen without the other, but we believe that if we build a platform that gives value, real value, meaningful value to data scientists, then the rest will follow. So that's why our North Star metric is the number of monthly active users. Right. And I think if we get that right, then I think the rest will fall in place. So great segue to talking about metrics, uh, metrics that matter in your context. And I mean, there's usually a laundry list of metrics that founders are instructed to mind um, which ones of the the typical startupy ones are relevant and useful for your team in tracking your progress and informing your decision making so we don't have a laundry list we have three so at the company level we track the total users we track the monthly active users and we track the revenue so give me a sense of why you've distilled it to these three and how they inform your strategy. First of all, the reason we have three is that we think that simplicity goes a long way. So what we do with these three metrics is that we cascade them down through the organization. So everybody knows how they contribute to objectives one, two, and three. We set up objectives and key results areas for all the team members. So for example, I know that by doing A, B, and C, I'm contributing to objective number one. Right. 
So that's important. So we keep it simple. Why we look at the total users is that we think that the size of the community is important because with size comes the option to do so much more. So, for example, as we grow out across the African continent, we want to do more in a more meaningful way for French-speaking data scientists who at the moment have to work on Zimbabwe in English. We think that's not quite smart. Okay. So the size of the community is important because it, it brings with it the recognition, brings with it to the critical mass, it brings the variety of opinions and problem-solving techniques, which are very important uh, for data science. Then we look at the monthly active users because we build Zimbabwe for people to use it, right? So there was a time when we were seduced by the top line number, but then we've moved past that. So we, we work every day to make Zindi a platform where people actually engage and derive value from. So looking at those two, we are kind of um, bisecting our efforts into onboarding. So how do we drive the top number? And engagement, how do we drive the use of the platform catering to people's needs? So those have two quite distinct strategies and we're starting to work. We are working towards those. Revenue is the third one. We put a lot more focus and priority on the users than the revenue side. So we're taking a bit of a leap of faith and saying that when we get the users right, the revenue will come. And I think our activity to date is, is proving that gamble to be right. So yes, we do keep an eye on the revenue because we have to pay our bills, right? How many customers do you have? How big is your community? Perhaps you can share how fast you're growing year on year. What do you typically share to an audience such as this? The size of the community is just today is, I think we are just under 40,000 on the top line. In terms of monthly active users, our target is 10% of that number. In terms of the number of clients, I stand corrected here. I think it's 45% of our customer base by value are repeat clients. Oh. So they've come back to, you know, to do something with Zindi more than once. In terms of the number of clients you worked with, I think it's close to 100 clients since we started. Yeah. And how long have you been running Ekao? We launched in September 2018. So I think we're up to three and a half years now. I imagine for the moment, it's more a platform from an activity standpoint, and correct me if I'm wrong, from an engagement standpoint, most of the activities on the community side and a lot of the work you do for clients is mostly off the platform or somewhat analog. Yeah, you could say that, that the client's engagement tends to be through a series of meetings to understand their needs. But what we are building, and, and we have it in prototype, is for the talent placement where clients will be able to log on to the Zindi platform very soon and look through our Zindi profiles you know, to see if there's somebody that matches what they need. So we're moving towards bringing our client experience onto the platform as much as we can. Has anything surprised you about how the community has used this platform? Right. What surprised us was, you know, right 
at the beginning when we launched, and I think in a few hours, the, the platform crashed, which, which I think was testament to the fact that there was such pent-up demand or pent-up interest in Africa for a platform like Zindi. Sure. So that was the first surprise. I'm always surprised by the enthusiasm that people have for Zindi. So just this week, I got a LinkedIn message. Someone reached out to me on LinkedIn, thanking me profusely for providing them with such a wonderful platform. So I think it echoes that first experience we had when the platform crashed, that we're giving African data scientists a place to showcase their skills, build their skills, and be relevant in this fast-moving world. I'm always humbled and surprised by the gratitude that people express. And it just makes us want to work harder because we know that there's a, there's a lot more that we can do and need to do. There's a lot more that we can do to make the platform even better than it is right now. On the client side, what surprises, but not really surprising, is that generally the market, broadly speaking, this is a very blanket statement, the market for data science, and it's not only in Africa, is quite analytically immature. So many companies will still crunch their numbers on Excel sheets. There's still a fair amount of skepticism towards data science, which isn't helped by the hype around the field and some may have been burned. So we try very hard to, to work with integrity. We, we know that data science is not the silver bullet. It's not this magic formula. It requires thoughts and dedication and responsible, responsible application to get the results. So how does your team define product market fit? Have you achieved it? And if not, how will you know when you do? So we talk about a flywheel that turns almost with no effort. That's what we're building towards in terms of the community engagement. So when we get to that stage where one user brings in another user who brings in another user, I think that's when we would have validated and we would have achieved the product market fit. I think we're close, but that's how we, we think about product market fit. And I think we're nearly there. You reference network effects. Is that what you consider your most defensible attribute of your business right now? And if not, what is? I think the moat is the community because Zindi from day one has really been a transactional platform. So we work to develop relationships with our community and between community members. I think that I think that, that is hard to do, especially on the African continent. I think that's the most enduring moat, the viability of the Zindi community and what we do to nurture it. And so let's talk unit economics. How do you make money? Right. We make money in three ways. So firstly, we charge a competition hosting fee, a fee for preparing, marketing, hosting, evaluating, and ranking the competition. We also make money from talent placements where we match qualified data scientists with job opportunities. And the third way is through what we call sponsorship and advertising, where Usually, large tech companies want to position their brand and their presence 
with the Zindi community of predominantly African data scientists. So, so the moment we make most of our money from the competition hosting, we have a lot of faith in the talent placement, which is a new proposition which we just started. So we think that will grow um, as the market matures and more people become more aware and more able to adopt the data science view that the talent placement revenue will also come into its own. I think we have a strong pipeline and that flywheel is also starting to turn. So we're quite pleased about that. So you preempt a question I have about what this all looks like at enormous scale. What's the at scale story of this business from a commercial perspective? Sure. So from the commercial perspective, we have a target of 1 million data scientists by 2025. Commercially, the is necessarily growing into the figures. So in five years time, we're looking for corporates to be able to log on to Zindi very easily find the talent that they need, get solutions to the problems that they have, be able to get assistance to implement them should they need. Do you envision this as an unaided process? I think that the nature of data science is that I don't think it will be completely unaided, simply because one, the market is, is still analytically immature. So there's some amount of handholding we'll need to do if we want to broaden and grow the market. I think it goes without saying. And also, the algorithm tends to be tightly coupled to the data set. So a solution for ShopRite may not work straight off the shelf for Woolworths. So that's why I don't think the elements of hand-holding or looking over the algorithm's shoulder and tweaking I think it will be with us for some time. Right. But then I interrupted your flow because you were painting a picture, a vision of of the future for this platform. And it was your current clients coming to this platform, finding the talent they need, connecting with it, being able to seek out the solutions or at least commission you to seek solutions for them. What else does that at-scale vision include? Right. So there's something we said to ourselves, and we said this three years ago, right? that if there's a company anywhere that has a data science need and they don't come to Zindi, that manager should be yelled at. <laughs> That's a good one. Ubiquity uh, in the space, I guess, um, <laughs> complete and utter global domination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so certainly, certainly in the short term, at least, in the short term, looking to double down on the African opportunity, there's a lot more to do here. And I think that's why the big tech companies naturally gravitate to Zindi because they they see that Africa as the youngest continent, in some respects, the last opportunity for technology, is a place that they can't ignore. So in the short term, we'll certainly be doubling down on the African opportunity, making sure we come to own the space for data science on the African continent, while at the same time remaining humble, and understanding that data science is very much a collaborative uh, field. It is and it's not a winner-takes-all because ideas come from all over the place and as data scientists, we welcome them all. Right. How do you frame competition then in the context of what you just said? Who's out there, either one, doing what you're doing already in some shape or form, even if they maybe not doing the whole platform thing, 
who is technically a competitor to this and how are you responding to that strategically over time to deliver on what you've just shared? Right, so there are quite a few who do what we do in some shape or form. So of course, one would mention Kaggle, which is owned by Google. There's also analytics, Vidya, which comes out of India. There's also Andela, which I think focuses more on software development. So there are a number of platforms, organizations. Are we worried about them? I think I can give a football manager's response here that not really worried about their positions. So we just focus on our game. And we think if we get our game right, the results will flow. At worst, maybe get acquired. <laughs> if I say Google, who, who in the list of people you listed there just makes me think, you know, they're no doubt watching you all very, very closely and making calculations about whether to try and crush you versus, you know, let you be what they probably wouldn't have built out and then maybe swoop in and, and make an offer at some point. Is is that the sort of thing you and your partners think about at all? I mean, now that you're in the VC game is, you know, how do you frame exit potential as part of your narrative? So, yeah, because you're VC funded, yeah, we do think about an exit. We don't obsess over it. But we think that we are building the right relationships. We are in the right conversations for a meaningful exit to be considered at the right time. But we think a lot more about the day-to-day and building out a platform that is unique and delivers value to a growing number of users in a field where the boundaries and the knowledge just keeps expanding. So it's, it's, it's a very exciting time to be a Zindian. And I must add that the term Zindian wasn't coined by us. It was actually coined by um, a Zindi data scientist in Nigeria who proudly calls himself a Zindian. That's really cool. And the name has stuck ever since then. Leaning into what you said about the moat, um, if you don't mind the community and put them first, it's as much an existential question as, as it is probably, given what I know about you and your team, a, a question of you know, an ethical obligation towards a community that has sort of endowed you with trust, right? Yeah, yeah. So the trust is hugely important. It's something we take very, very, very seriously. And I think that speaks to the moat as well, that Zindi has never been a transactional platform. The team is not a transactional team. We want to deliver value, real value, to make it worthwhile for people like Marian with her two kids to find an outlet for her skills and her talents through Zindi so that she in turn can make a difference in her community, bringing her unique experiences to the problems that she will solve. Right. What would you say are the biggest obstacles you've encountered so far as a business? Let's limit it to two obstacles that had you not figured out a way to sort of work around them or solve them or respond to them, Zindi wouldn't be here anymore. And then part two of that question is, what would you point to as the top two obstacles on the path to delivering on that vision you, you've cast for Zindi at scale? What are the two obstacles you envisage you and your team needing to solve for? So let's start with the first question. Oh, I think like most startups, right? I, if not all startups, you know, you always go through a near-death experience. Zindi has had more than one. One in the early days when we were approached by a set of investors 
who in hindsight would have been the wrong investors for Zindi. I think we dodged that bullet, perhaps fortuitously, but in hindsight, we, we know a lot more now and we are more astute and we are a lot more careful about the type of investing partners we take on. Think of them as partners. But if we hadn't dodged the bullet of the first set of investors who approached us, Cindy would not be what it is today. They didn't have a technology background. They had a very mercantilist approach, um, which would not have fitted into this, this big vision of really making an impact in the world that Cindy has today. And I remember a conversation with them where I said, look, we need to raise a million dollars. And they were like, what? What on earth would you do with a million dollars? Well, there's a lot we can do with a million dollars. So that just showed us now, in hindsight, you know, the greatest respect that they weren't uh, the right people. And then, of course, along the way, in the early days as well, there was a point where we nearly ran out of money. I think we were four weeks away from the wolves, you know, piling through the door. But uh, yeah, we were able to come through. We got some external funding, which was great. The biggest obstacle for us right now is talent. So I've spoken a lot about building out the platform. So to do that, we need the right software engineering talent. And I think for Zindi, it's not just about the technical skills. It's also about being a fit for the team. So we spend a lot of time thinking hard around who we hire and why. We try not to make mistakes in hiring because we want to maintain the ethos of a smart team, a hardworking team, people who have fun together, don't think too much of themselves, but bring a lot in terms of uh, skills and integrity and also tenacity. We think of Zindi as a family. So in choosing to hire somebody, we perhaps take a bit longer than some other people would, but the mission we have is too important to treat it otherwise. And so what would you say the second one is? The second one is the first one. Talent and people. People and people. People with talent. Talent. Yes, it's talent, talent, talent. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, finally, what do you say to, say, an investor interested in investing who, who asks, why are you the team to get this done? I haven't been asked the question in a while, but if you look at the three co-founders, Megan Yates is a serial entrepreneur. She started one of the first data science consultancies in South Africa when data science was not a thing. So in terms of the data science backbone through the company, she brings that. Selena Lee has worked across the world in a developmental capacity. So she understands and has the experience and what it takes to build markets in emerging markets. So my background is in engineering. So I bring the engineering mindset, the can-do attitude. I've also worked extensively across and lived extensively across the African continent when I worked as an engineer and was also the head of analytics for a large bank. So I like to think I bring the commercial lens to the Zindi business. And I think the combination of the three of us is quite formidable and strong in, in the sense that we trust each other, we respect each other, we believe in the mission and we support each other. And don't forget, I mean, can't hurt to write science fiction, you know. 
it's a handy. Yes, it doesn't hurt to slow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a handy trick. Uh, that sounds like a formidable team if I ever heard one, and uh, we certainly wish you the best. Ekal Duka, thank you very much. Thank you.